What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. fans how you doing it's your boy john of the macri with you for another episode of the Knicks film school podcast with of course my co-host uh coming at you every monday jeremy cohen um that i will ask you as i always do how are you sir i'm good uh john i don't know well, how are you i i'm okay i'm okay we, we just got back from spending the weekend with my my mom and celebrating her uh 70th birthday so that was nice congratulations that's all yeah it was it was it was it was cool it was uh it was nice it was i i felt i feel a little mentally and and physically replenished after um two days having someone else to help care for our our child so i i will say it was a nice weekend for for everybody all around worth it yeah uh <laughs> john sure. did you get your ballot are you voting absentee have you seen your ballot yet we already sent it in okay uh so did you happen to see that I am listed as running for vice president of the United States? You know, I'll, I'm not going to lie. I saw I saw my candidate, um, <laughs> Mr. Mr. Biden and Ms. Harris. And I, I did not I did not look any further down the ballot on that column. Um, I, but congratulations, I, I guess, are in order. Thank you. Yeah, I I'm apparently running for vice president of the Libertarian Party. Which um, that's a good party, I hear. Is fascinating. Many many people are saying the Libertarian Party is is a good party. Maybe it's been a weird year to be a Jeremy Cohen though, because there's there's now this vice presidential candidate, and I don't know if you remember, but earlier in the pandemic, there was that whole Romeo and Juliet TikTok story, where it's kind of like the guy flying a drone and sending messages back and forth, and then he went into a bubble to date this girl. Anyways, it's it's a whole thing, and he was also named Jeremy Cohen, so. Um, you know, it's it's big year for Jeremy Cohen's that aren't me, which is well, I was about great to say, if you're those two Jeremy Cohen. No, I was about to say the only thing that I'm hearing is that we have um, two months and a little less than two weeks to get you, you know, in, uh, to have a, a bit more of a prominent place in society so that this truly can be the I mean, you, I think you've had a good year. Don't get me wrong. You've had a couple of viral tweets. You've written a lot of fantastic things. I'd like to think we've done some nice things on this podcast. Um, professionally, obviously, you know, you, you do what you do. Um, but I feel like there's more there's more meat on the bone. Yeah, it's like uh, the summer of George, but the year of Jeremy. <laughs> that's kind of how it can go. Cool. Right, that's, that's, yeah. <laughs> um, so I'm, I'm just going to be fully transparent. So, I, I, I mean, I, I've said some uh, something to this effect before. Jeremy and I do not spend a ton of time preparing for the show because i mean i i don't know how you feel my to me my preparation for this is the i wish i was lying 
like several dozen hours a week I spend thinking about the team in preparation for my columns and, and, um, you know, other podcasts I may do and whatnot. So to me, this is like the, 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 the point where I get to kind of just like spill out whatever the mishmash has accumulated in my head over the previous week. And it usually comes out in, you know, mostly cogent manner. Um, that said, I did not know quite how to approach this particular show because we had talked about what the topics of conversation would be, but I, I didn't really wasn't coming together in terms of how we would present it. And then we started talking about it right before I hit record and you, well, why don't I just let you take it away? I think that'll probably be the easiest thing. Sure. You know, I, I, this isn't a a new thought, but obviously we have seen a tremendous amount of reports about various, you know, high-profile players being linked to the Knicks. And for me, I've kind of just brushed it off as rumors and hearsay and just kind of creating try, – people trying to create some sort of content where none might exist. And this week it kind of hit a crescendo for me with the Russell Westbrook trade idea. And then that kind of being uh, progressed further when uh, someone who uh, I guess – you know, we get to name uh, Alan Hahn, for example, talking about how that would introduce spice into a nice little New York rivalry, things like that. And I just got to the point where my thought is just fuck this because <laughs> yeah, would, really, it's just, you're not saying that towards Alan Hahn. I, 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 I lest anyone be confused, but toward the gen, like I could I see you uh, in like the middle of a street with the rain coming down, shouting to the sky at top of your lungs. Fuck this. That's that's what I'm picturing. Maybe that's your ticket to Jeremy Cohen fame of this year. So, you know, who knows? Maybe. Maybe I have to I have to go out in the rain and just scream fuck this at the top of my lungs and I hope that someone has me go viral. That's a, that's a good idea. Um for yeah, so it's it's this really fascinating thing in terms of getting the Knicks a star. And you know, I was thinking about this and Mike Vorkanoff actually had a really fascinating article. Um, the topic itself was great. He did a fine job with the article too, but it was this whole idea about how the Knicks are boring. Yeah, I, I read it. It was, I was reading, it was good. I was reading the article and it kind of sunk in where, where I was thinking to myself, what about this team right now? exciting if you're a casual fan a casual knicks fan casual nba fan or someone who wants to get into basketball whatever it is what about the knicks is exciting to you not future because we know that there are tons of future assets and that's great but right now what is appealing about this team and you know as i was thinking more and more about it it's this idea of we kind of think of leon rose as a general manager but that's not what he is He's the president of basketball operations, the same way that a CEO is not in charge of finance or marketing. The the heads of those departments uh, go to him. And if you're someone like Leon Rose, what you have to consider is making a quality product, but also making something that people want to watch. And it's, yes, you could, you know, I obviously you want to find talent, right? Because talent will then increase viewership because fans want to see something. But it's still this idea of you don't have to go all the way off the deep end to get a player like Russell Westbrook or have someone who might rob minutes of a younger player when that younger player should be in a a position to succeed. But still, you need something that's compelling enough to 
bring eyeballs to you because if you are able to get someone who um, captures more interest, you're looking at more television exposure with national nationally televised games. And if you have more exposure, then even if you're losing, you're still kind of more fresh into people's minds. But no one wants to see a bad team. And the teams that have found success in terms of uh, acquiring stars, especially on the free agent market, have done so by progressing. So it's finding this fine line next season where you can have a, a product that doesn't have to be great, doesn't have to be good. It can be mediocre. But if that's the case, show that you're using your young guys. And if you are going to bring someone in, display them in a way where they are not the antithesis of progression, which is something like a Russell Westbrook, an inefficient player who um, you know, pads his stats in a lot of ways and just isn't a winning player. He's 32 years old and he's going to be signed for three more years at a ridiculously high contract. So I guess, John, I'll kick it over to you, but I'm just trying to figure out a way where you can accomplish all of that and look at the assets you have and try to think of something that can actually bring you present success and also set you up for the future. So a couple things. The, the first thing that I just want to say right off the bat is to your initial... <laughs> To your initial impulse of, of shouting fuck this to the sky. Um, I think that is to a certain extent a function of um, it's uh, as we sit and record this, it's October 18th. Um, it's now been uh, seven, more than seven months since, since the last time the Knicks have played, it's going to be, you know, it's another, I, you know, I, I t- talk about um, jinx- jinxing us. I said a week ago uh, when we recorded this podcast, I was like, oh, all right, we're almost out of the weeds. Well, no, um, we still have a month to go until the draft. And I feel like this, a lot of what is like the rust thing to me. Yes, it has to do a little bit with Maury getting fired or I should let me rephrase that with Maury stepping down. He did not get fired. Um, but I think it's, you know, it's been a long time without content and people are just running out of takes. Um, and, and that's not to disparage any, anybody who, you know, has said anything one way or another, you, you know, you may believe that Russell Westbrook is, is the, is the thing that is, is missing, you know, what else, what else the Knicks, um, in terms of what you're talking about, in terms of, of towing the line, you know, I think it's, and, and look, let's just call it like it is. If you look around at the other bad teams in the league, um, in Cleveland, that, well, maybe that's not the worst. Well, let me let me start with the easy examples. In Atlanta, you have Trey Young. In Minnesota, you have Carl Anthony Towns. In New Orleans, you have Zion Williamson, and obviously Brandon Ingram and some other pieces. Sacramento, you have De'Aaron Fox. Um, and up until you know their their uh, bubble escapade in in Phoenix, you had Devin Booker. Um, those are all players that a fan base can can get th- those are reasons to not be boring right those are those are people that a fan base could get excited about and like to a lesser extent i would even say like colin sexton put together a nice 20 game stretch at the end of the season to get fans really excited and whatnot with you know and you know chicago if you believe the whole is greater than the sum of the parts there's a lot of there's a lot of you know p- interesting pieces there um the knicks don't really have that because you know that and that's i think that's part of the whole rj thing is is i not that i should call it an rj thing i don't mean to disparage people who are who are very excited about him it's just 
when when I see people getting a little bit more excited than the evidence justifies with RJ, to me, that's the reason is the thing that you just talked about, right? It's how do we how do we get to the point where we are not only good, but you know, you want to give people a reason to watch this team. And I think that Knicks fans will get will talk themselves into reasons to watch the team. But that can only last so long. And eventually it stops being Kevin Knox is only 19 years old and it starts being, oh, wait a minute, this guy's not very good. And I'm not saying we're going to get to that point with RJ Barrett, but if you're Leon Rose, you do have to like take a very hard, real, honest look at this situation and say, okay, you know, what's what 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 is real that is here? And what is, you know, stuff that there's going to be a time limit on on how long people could talk themselves into this without some other stuff brought into the fray, which is what, you know, in part where I think the whole Chris Paul thing comes in. And maybe I. So let's 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 sit in Leon Rose's chair for a second, shall we? Are you comfortable? Do you think he has a comfortable chair? I think he has a comfortable chair. Oh, I bet he does. Yeah, probably a very nice leather one. Um, you are, you're the president of the Knicks. You know that you have a fan base that is very smart. And you know you have a fan base that is, is, you know, going to call bullshit faster than any other fan base. At the same time, you also have a frustrated fan base where it's like, again, it's we we podcast to like the 10 or 20 or 25 at max percent of diehards that are really, really smart and think about this team way too much. You still have the other 75 percent. So if you're president of basketball operations, you know, if you could appease that other 75 percent. And you could justify it basketball wise. Like, don't you kind of have to do it? It, it is. I don't know the answer to that question. I, I, I'm, I'm not even sure what I want the answer to that question to be. I think I know what I want the answer to the question to be, but. You know, I don't think you do because you're never going to please everyone. And I know you're not saying everyone in the scenario, but. Yeah, but just, it, it's TV ratings. And it, even if it's not fannies and seats right this second, at some point this season, it is going to be fannies and seats. Right. Exactly. And until then, it's fannies and seats from the comfort of their home. and Which fucking matters. Right. And the thing about this is that I feel as though ratings, yes, they are dropping. It's a big reason is because as a team uh, in New York, for example, or two teams in New York really weren't focusing on uh, the bubble as much uh, after the first round. But the thing here is that if you're looking at a team that is in need of some sort of injection of excitement – you have to find that in some way. It doesn't have to be mortgaging things. But you and I, we've talked about this in the past, where if you look at the roster for not this upcoming season, but for the 21-22 season, yeah. you have scheduled right now under contract R.J. Barrett, the eighth pick this year, Kevin Knox, the 27th pick this year, Ignace Brasdekas, the 38th pick this year, your own pick, first round pick, the Mavericks first round pick, the Pistons' second-round pick, and the Hornets' second-round pick. So that is 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. That's 10 roster spots. If you're not going to shelve any or not trade anyone out 
And then you have to consider the fact that there's Frankie Lakina as a free agent, Dennis Smith Jr. is a free agent, and Mitchell Robinson is a free agent. So even if you sign two of those guys, right, that's 12 players out of 15. You have to consolidate in some ways. And I think this kind of leads me into the the larger, more looming factor, which is I get the sense just from what I've seen that with this year's draft, look, I get it. It's not likely to yield many stars. Just when you look at it, that's the or, consensus. Or any. <laughs> or any. It's, it's possible. possible. It's on the it's it's in the it's in the realm of possible. I mean, let me can we can we actually let's let's nail that down a little bit more because I think that's unfair. Every draft yields a star or two. It's highly unlikely to yield a star that is like a predictable star, right? Yeah. This yeah. is an odd year in terms of the talent that's at hand. Um I guess the one thing that I've noticed is right after the Knicks dropped in the lottery, the tune kind of changed among fans. There was this resignation or acceptance of, yeah, you know, well, this was a bad draft anyway, so it's fine to pick eighth. Uh, you know, I'm sure we can find better talent or, or, you know, maybe as good talent as eight for cheaper than you could in the top three. And, you know, that could all be true. It absolutely could all be true. But at the same time, it doesn't just because the odds of getting stars are lower. It doesn't mean that there are no stars, and it doesn't mean that if you have an opportunity to trade up, that you should just completely shelve it. I don't think. Yeah, but we've heard no indication that he's gonna that they're gonna do that. You are you are you advocating that that should be Leon Rose's way of towing the line that you spoke of before? Not really, but I think it's it's a really perplexing one in a good way because if you want to talk about getting someone, and of course. I want to preface this by saying the most important thing that the Knicks should do is draft for talent, not for marketability. There's just no reason to do that. You build a team and you try to sell it. But if you can do both, if you can sell the fans on a watchable product with potential, and if you strongly believe that a player like LaMelo Ball, because let's face it, what other player in this draft is going to be anywhere near polarizing from from the get-go? It's going to be no one. You know, maybe it's Anthony Edwards, but I, I don't think he had enough exposure on a losing team in Georgia to necessarily justify that. And I know you could say, well, Ben Simmons was in a fairly weak year and he was on a losing team. So, yes, but the fact of the matter is that there wasn't anything that was heralded about Anthony Edwards um, in comparison. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah, I no, guess I what I'm trying to what I'm trying to get at here is if you can if you believe that you can get LaMelo Ball. And if you believe that he is going to be the best player out of this draft, and you have the assets to move up, because let's face it, if you try to move up next year, it's going to be harder because it's a better draft and your assets may not count as much. So we've had, this is as best as I could tell what we've had thrown at us this year, right? In terms of um, ways to get ways for Leon Rose to tell the line of good slash exciting, more exciting next year. We've had since the lottery trade up for LaMelo ball, trade for Chris Paul, trade for Russell Westbrook side, Fred, signed Fred Van Vliet. And I want to be very cognizant of how I say Fred Van Vliet's name from now on, because people were getting on me about <laughs> consistently saying Fred Van Fleet, which is a, a tick that I have. So Fred Van Vliet, I'm going to make an effort to do that. Um, did I miss anything other than those four pathways that we've heard about now in the last however many months? I think that sounds about right. 
I don't think I unless missed. there's a salary dump, but I haven't heard anything. You want to throw Vic, about actually no, let's let's hear, let's throw Victor Oladipo's name in there too. Um, in sure. fairness, trade for Zach, Victor Oladipo a while ago. Eh, I wouldn't even call like that was you know the most actual real evidence we had was it begs was saying the Knicks and Nets are keeping tabs on that situation. I don't think we had, sure. I don't think look yeah. at look at what's just happening with Westbrook, and there were even there's even less there. Less, well, there's even less substance that was there, and yet it's turned into something even bigger. But the difference is that I don't. I think there's a chance the Knicks could turn around tomorrow and say we want Zach Levine, and the Bulls could be like, okay, great, give us the eighth pick and next year's first, and then that's you know. Th- my point is the Bulls. There's a there's a world where the Bulls, you know, price tag is so high that 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 conversation never gets off the ground. Whereas with Westbrook, I think we could be pretty damn sure that if the Knicks wanted to obtain Russell Westbrook at a fair price tomorrow, um, or whenever the moratorium gets list, list gets lifted, which I, I hear is going to be sooner rather than later, um, they're going to be able to do that. And I think we also know if they want Chris Paul, they can get Chris Paul. If they want Victor Oladipo, they can get Victor Oladipo. Um, Van Fleet's a, a little, I, well, no, because, yeah, you know what? If they want to hand Fred Van Fleet $110 million over the next four years, I'm pretty sure he's going to take it. And I also think they can get LaMelo Ball if they want. So I am going to go ahead and say that all five of those options are on the table. Whether they're absurd overpays or not is a different story. So. If if you so that is your buffet right now. If you're Leon Rose, you're talking about Lamelo Ball, and I th- I'm sitting here and I'm thinking like, okay, based on everything I've heard, he's just gonna sit here and he's like, well, whichever one, maybe a buffet is the wrong, um, what? Okay, maybe like going to a carnival and like you have different food tents or like how about make, let's make it more realistic. You go to a um a, a place where there's a bunch of food trucks. Right. Food trucks popular nowadays. You don't really care what you eat. Um, You're hungry. You just want to feed yourself. You're going to look around and whatever the cheapest price is, you're going to just get that thing. I think that's what he's doing or what he's going to do. And if he feels that everything's exorbitant, you know what? He's going to go home and he's going to cook himself a meal and he's going to go to bed. Is it going to be a good, as good a meal as as any of the food truck options? No, probably not. Um and I still think there is that segment of the fan base who wants them to do that. But that gets us back to the thing you started the conversation with, which is the Knicks are boring. And to 75 or whatever percent of the fan base, that fucking matters. Yeah, I, especially I, I think that your scenario is a great one. I think I would add to that by saying, yeah, you can go home and cook for yourself. But you also have a significant other at home who really wants a nice meal. So you have to alter <laughs> your approach where... You're not just <laughs> my wife is fine having cereal. My wife literally just had a bowl of cocoa pebbles for dinner. So well, good for her. Thankfully. Perfect. What? Oh, count. Cho- excuse me. Count chocula. Sorry. Oh, about that. Yeah. All right. There's a huge difference there. So there is. Well, one. Well, well, I, no, because one has marshmallows and the other. And the other doesn't. And thus we get into the nuances of team building. Continue. I'm sorry. No, that's fine. So, again. You can do everything in a boring manner. But you still need to walk away with something to engage people. And if it's not going to be LaMelo Ball, and it's it's fine if that's the case, but then what else is it? What else is it that doesn't, you know, make things a disaster? Like, because the, people are very split on the idea of Carmelo Anthony. I, in the past, have said the only reason I'd really be fine with Carmelo Anthony is if he 
is here on a minimum salary and you use that money for salary dump. But even then, I would rather he chase a ring. I would rather he go to a contending team and not put the focus here. I think that his time here is is done unless there's a true contender and he jumps on board. But other than that, it, it just doesn't make sense. So how do you find that middle ground if you are Leon Rose, that, that path where we're not going to go for it, but we need something to tide people over to the point where they're exciting enough to capture eyeballs. And I think the big thing here as well is maybe, and, and maybe I'm different this way, but I kind of look at these players more as assets than I do as players themselves. Because to me, it's like... They're all, all players are assets. On every team right. in every sport, they're assets. Right. But that's the thing where when I'm asked, or when I see, you know, who's your favorite player, I think, yeah, I love Frank Nielakina, but in terms of favorite player, I mean, it's, I don't know. I, I'm I'm really not sure who my favorite player on the league is. And I, they're guys I like and they're guys I don't. But it's not like a whole lot of them rise to the top and I idolize a, a Mount Rushmore type of guys. So for me, it's kind of just like if you're seeing a player like Lamella Ball and you feel like he's the best asset that getting, you know, whatever it takes to move up for him. If the collection of those assets separately is less than or equal to Lamella Ball, then what do you do? If it's equal then, then you could say let's roll the dice on the three. If it's less than, then you say let's trade up. It doesn't have to be LaMelo Ball either. It could be other prospects. But I know that a lot of Knicks fans, there really isn't that one guy that's so polarizing. And because that's... if there were that guy, then the Knicks wouldn't be able to trade it up for him in the first place because he'd probably be going to Minnesota. Well, but again, it's the fact that they could get – that the. <laughs> The fact that they could trade up and get LaMelo Ball at all is indicative of exactly what LaMelo Ball is and what LaMelo Ball is not, right? It's like a gift and a curse. And I know people are going to listen to that and be like, well, no, um, the Mavericks successfully traded up for Luka Doncic last year. Yes, that was a very unique situation in which Trey Young had displayed just enough whatever you want to call it to, to get a team to, to, to bite on the prospect of him, you know, essentially doing what he's done in two years in the NBA. Let's say, you know, and, and he's like, he's going to profile as like a six, seven, eight time all-star and they got another pick out of it. And that trade is still maybe going to go down as one of the worst of all time in the NBA. And it wasn't even unique though. That's the thing. It was moving from three to five. If anything, going from eight to one. Um, well, no, I'm unique. talking about the uniqueness of, a guy who smart NBA people last year were, were saying like this kid, you know, could be a gen a Doncic, I mean, could be oh, a, yes. a generational prospect. Those guys do not usually get traded on draft night. I see what you're saying. Yes. That's yeah. So th there is, um, and, and that was my point in mentioning Trey young is that you need a Trey young to at least hold as the, as a legitimate carrot in front of the other team's face to be like, okay, here you get, this is what you get. That, that situation, I don't know who's going to be available in the Knicks at eight, but it's not going to be a, like a, a Trey Young to, you know, Doncic's LaMelo ball this year. If that, I hope that sentence made sense. Um, anyway, I, I, I really do. Well, let's bring up one other thing. We haven't talked about him on the show for a while, but one thing that has changed over the last month, um, Tom Thibodeau has gotten a chance to look at this team, um, up close. And we're talking about, well, you know, what are the different food truck options as opposed to going home and making yourself a meal? You know, he Rose went and got himself Tibbs. 
So, and, and the reason I bring that up is one by now, after having worked with these guys, I think Tibbs is going to be able to go back to Rose and be like, okay, fine. You give me these guys and nothing else, or you give me these guys and a couple other like serviceable NBA pros and I'll get you a watchable product and 32 wins. And maybe that influences Rose's decision about whether or not he needs to choose any of these options. Um, because, you know, in Tibbs, theoretically, you got a guy who could turn chicken shit into chicken salad. Or maybe Tibbs went to him after all of these workouts were done and is like, sorry, Leon, I left my magic wand back in, you know, Chicago. Um, if you just it's fine if you want me to coach these guys, but if you don't get me someone else, this is going to be a a long, ugly year. So, you know, how much how much does that influence his decision making process here? Yeah, I mean, I look to Tibbs's first year in Minnesota where it was kind of just saying, all right, let's see what happens. And they yeah, but he had a lot of games. He had some guys, but that's thing. he had. He had Carl Anthony Towns and Andrew Wiggins, who were both number one overall picks. And he had Zach Levine. And Zach Levine, course, yeah. And Levine Ricky Rubio, down. by the way. Right. It wasn't, you know, it was a little shine left on that rose. Exactly. And you're going to have to see that other teams are making upgrades as well. So, again, that's that's really also even more so. I, I'm very comfortable with the idea of the Knicks taking on salary dumps and looking to acquire future assets. Because that's the smartest thing they can do. But I feel like something that hasn't really been explored is... If the Knicks trade up in this draft and still take on a salary dump as well, and if they're operating at essentially the same spot that they were in or that they're in right now in in terms of the, the number of picks that they have, then what harm did they really do here? If because they take on a salary dump? If they take on a salary dump and add, let's say, one or two picks, right? Let's say two salary dumps, however it is, however they're able to take on money and acquire assets as a result of that. Or if they're able to turn, say, Kevin to a decent enough pick where they're able to sell some team on something or it doesn't have to be right now. It could be at the trade deadline, whatever it is. If you're able to kind of trim the fat and still have collection of picks and, and you've also brought in a better prospect in this year's draft. What damage have you done? Because I just listed off how many draft picks you already have. Yeah, but you're forward. You're assuming the cost to, to trade up is within reason. Well, I'm saying that if it's, you know, like, let's say moving up to one is something like eight twenty seven. Uh, they're not going to need to move up to one, though. I think I, I'm pretty sure that the, the scuttlebutt uh, drink um, scuttlebutt is that uh, it, it's going to be Edwards at one. Um, and two is where the draft is, is going to start. The reason I'm saying one is because at least in my mind, if the Warriors keep the pick, I think they'll either do, I mean, they go a number of ways, obviously, but I, I, I can't seem to shake the idea that Okoro to the Warriors would just make so much sense for them. He would fill that Iguodala role perfectly. He doesn't have to worry about his shooting. He's a wing that would work for them beautifully, but if they don't choose that option and they want to use that. Um, that exception that they have, there's obviously Miles Turner. And then you talk about maybe them shipping out the second pick. But I, I do agree that if he gets past two, it's interesting because of the fact that he wouldn't have met with any of the teams. It doesn't mean they won't take him, but you're then starting to get into 
very fascinating territory. Would it worry you? Can I ask you, would it worry you if the Warriors just, let's say they, let's say the rest of the league, the Knicks, the Bulls, the whoever, let's say everybody called their bluff and they were like, we're not, we're not going to give you anything for two. You could, you could take your fucking guy. Would it worry you if they didn't take ball? If you're Leon Rose? No. The reason it wouldn't is because of the fact that the Warriors are operating differently than they would have last year. Last year, they knew Clay Thompson was going to be out. They thought, all right, we don't love D'Angelo Russell, but we want something back for Kevin Durant, and we can hopefully turn him into something else. And they turned him into Andrew Wiggins, who, I mean, not necessarily a better player. I think well, he has a better shot at being a, a more winning we'll player, see. but he fills a need, and they got a first round pick out of it. And that first round pick, if it doesn't land top four, is going to be fantastic. That's going to be such a good asset. So it's that sort of idea where him, LaMelo, slipping past two, I don't see it as an indictment on LaMelo per se. I think it's more about the Warriors trying to figure out the best way to build their team. And and maybe they see LaMelo as the best asset, but if they don't trade him, then they're in a similar situation to what they had with D'Angelo Russell, which is we have a player that doesn't overlap – or he overlaps with our best player and Steph Curry – And how are we going to make this work? But the thing is, they didn't have to worry about that last year because D'Angelo Russell was healthy and Steph Curry wasn't. Well, I let's look. He's not. They're not going to trade Mitchell Robinson in eight. Um, They're not going to trade eight. They're not going to trade next year's first. Um, I if everything unless I'm really reading it wrong or just many people. I don't want to say many. Several people have just outright either lied to me or been lied to very convincingly and then passed those lies along to me. I do not think that they're even giving up next year's Dallas pick to, to trade up. I think their offer is going to be like, in my mind, it's like, do they offer? They'll, I mean, they'll offer eight and 27 and Frank, right? Uh, I'm not reporting that. It's just like that's my common sense is saying they'll offer like 827 Frank. And I, I, I would imagine the Warriors will laugh them off the phone. Do they offer 827 and Knox? Well, I don't know. Do the Warriors want Kevin Knox? Based on everything you just said, which makes sense, by the way. No. So I just I'm not sure where the where the deal is. You know, or do like, do you want there to be a deal based on something uh, in which they give up something that I just said that they are not going to give up? Because I, I like how that they're, they're operating right now, which is to hold dear everything that could help them next a, a year from now. Right. And I'm in agreement. Look, if it's not worth trading up, then don't do it. But we also saw the last time a team traded into the top five uh, from outside of it was and, and the receiving team didn't have multiple top five picks was with Walt Perrin in 2005 when they got Darren Williams. And my whole thinking is, look, I mean, Walt Perrin isn't 100 percent. No. Well, you're forgetting no, about the, the Hunter, the, the the DeAndre Hunter. No, trade. I'm saying because they because the Pelicans had number one and number four. Oh, yeah. OK, I'm sorry. Yeah, that's when they didn't yeah. have multiple top five. picks. Gotcha. Sorry, sorry. No, no, no. You're, you're, you, you said it. OK, right. So for D. Will. That was a pretty good trade-off. They, it was six twenty-seven, and the next year's pick was number thirty. It was six twenty-seven, and who? It was somebody's future. Was it? It, it was wasn't the their future, future first. Pick. It was somebody else's future first. It was Portland, but it, it turned into thirty, even though they didn't finish the best record. Yes. Um. 
bottom line being, I really think that if Walt Perrin said to Leon Rose, this is a guy we have to trade up for. I don't think then he Leon will. would be. And if he doesn't, then that's fine. Again, I'm not I'm not I don't want to give off the impression that it has to be LaMelo Ball or nothing. I, I do think I agree. There are good options at eight. Uh, also, if one video, if like a, a one shot of Devin Vassell turned you off to him as a prospect, then do better because and guys, can I just say about that the same shot before? No, like it's he did this in, in January. Yeah, it's um, it, it's not an, an indictment as to what he is as a prospect and just him going off of your board because of one small video that was deleted off the internet is crazy. It's also Keith Smith who I, I listen to Keith Smith. He's a good reporter. Um, he tweeted out something to the effect of like, he was hearing that they were just fucking around at the end of practice. So just for what it's worth, I want to throw that out there. Yeah. So if that's all it is, then, you know, there's obviously a sense of posterity. If you're a draft pick, you don't want that out there. You don't want that in the ether because then we're having situations like this right now. I do believe that there is a scenario over this draft or next where if there's a prospect worth trading up for, you absolutely do it. The question is if you have the ability to trade up next year because if next year's draft is as good as it's heralded to be, it's going to be harder to move up. Yeah, but hold on. That, that there, is, there's a flip side to that coin though. assets. There's a flip side to that coin, because if next year's draft is, as you just said, as good as it is purported to be, and if we are in agreement that the Knicks are going to have one of the seven or eight worst records in the league, are we in agreement about that? Yeah, I I would agree with that. Sure. Okay. If we're in agreement that they're going to have one of the seven or eight worst records in the league, then barring some very, very, very low odds, that means they will have a top 10 pick next year. Which again, if if it's a good and deep draft, and this draft, the next year's draft is supposed to go anywhere from eight to twelve deep with really quality, solid players, um, then you're trading up from a position of strength. You're not trading up from a position of weakness. So that's why I think the most interesting thing that I've heard, and I've and uh, Mark Berman has, um, I don't want to say he's reported this, he has ins- insinuated. Um, that they are looking at trade down scenarios. I have heard, and I, I think I said this in a newsletter this week, they're comfortable anywhere from 15 to 22 in this draft. So to me, if they're looking to go down from eight to 15 to 22, they're looking to pick up potentially another asset in next year's draft or potentially a young player on his rookie contract that they think could be really good. But, um, I like that because again, I am I am comfortable with them in this in this line that Leon Rose have, has to has to tow the tightrope has to walk. I'm comfortable with him putting and the team putting so many eggs in next year's drafts basket. What I think is interesting about the decision making process they have to go to go through now and all of those options that we talked about before, one of which is to trade up for Lamelo Ball. Is that I, I think he he's trying to have his cake and eat it too here, which is to say like okay we, we let's make them watch let's make the team watchable and, and make it enjoyable for that majority of the fan base 
without sacrificing for next year, which is comes. This is a long roundabout way of coming back to your Lamella Ball thing, which is that like if you could give up eight and twenty seven in next year's Dallas pick, it's equivalent to the Deron Williams trade. So you should just make it. Whereas I'm saying. I don't think they're going to overpay because I think they look at LaMelo Ball as one of like, he again, he doesn't care which food truck he gets his food from. Because I think if they were that sold on LaMelo Ball, we'd know it. And I don't think they're that sold on LaMelo Ball. I haven't heard that they're that sold on LaMelo Ball. I mean, we did here in the beginning. By beginning, I mean. Yeah, like, uh, eons ago. Over the whenever. last six months. That yeah. he's, he's their number one player on their board. Like, but again, that could mean just, a lot of things. That doesn't mean that course, they think he's course. a future. And it doesn't mean, you know. Right, absolutely. And listen, just to reiterate, I'm not adamant about doing this. I'm just trying to explore a way where you can, like you're saying, have your cake and eat it too, but also do it this year. It sounds like you're you're advocating for this as opposed to Russ. That's almost what I feel like I'm hearing from you is like if they don't trade up for ball, they're going to wind up with Russell Westbrook. Is that or am I not, am I no, just oh, reading no, you? I, I, oh, I thought you meant more like this trading up is a more palatable option than trading for Russ. And then inherently it makes the idea to trade out look even better. Like with Chris Paul, if I gave you two options and said you could have Chris Paul or Russell Westbrook, then you're going to say, oh, well, I'd rather have Chris Paul. But if I said you could have Chris Paul or not, then you're going to say, I'd rather not have Chris Paul. That, that's kind of the thing I'm getting in. And I'm not saying it's the idea of Westbrook is leaked so that Chris Paul then becomes a uh, like a lesser of two evils idea. It's just, again, I'm all in favor of trading up in the 2021 draft. That is a better draft class. I'm totally down with that. I do not believe that there has to be this rule that you trade up because you need something, um, some chutzpah. But the fact is that you need to find it in some way. It doesn't. It doesn't have to be mortgaging the future. I just think that it, I believe that there are a lot of assets the Knicks have, and that's great. But at some point. They need to consolidate. And it doesn't have to be this draft, but it can be. And it can be this draft and it can be the next one if you still hit the right notes. If you are able to, you know, acquire a salary dump, if you are able to do more with what you want, if if you're signing a player that you think you can Marcus Morris your way through by getting a first round pick next year. I don't know how many that is. It seems kind of slim. But the point being is that there are avenues for you to have more picks next year which is great, but you can also walk walk away with the same number and potentially better prospect if you trade up. But it depends on how you view Ball. If you don't view him as a standout prospect in a vacuum, then he's not worth getting. Based on, I I, I don't think they view him in that way. And honestly, I'm I, and look, I've written something, some things contrary to what I'm about to say um, in the past. I. I I'm not sure they're wrong about the fact that they're not 100% sold on him. Um, it's just, yeah. There's there's red flags there. The red flags are not going away. Um, and I think it's, and I think when you look at the landscape that is in front of them, where there are all of these options to make the team watchable next year which again to answer the question we both kind of posed at the beginning of the show is that important to them should that be important to them i think yes it is important to them and i think to a certain extent it's fair that it is important to them um it's not just about lamello ball or bus and i think that the fact that all of these options are out there is going to help their negotiating position because you know i mean look maybe they're left out in the cold and none of these things come to fruition 
And and I look, Russ is in his own category because you could you like if they took in Russ for free, like if 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 they didn't get any assets for taking Russ, I think most fans would. Well, not most fans. I think probably about half the fan base would think that that's a terrible trade. Right. Yeah, I would say so. I would hope it would be more. But I don't think it would be more. I think there would be a lot of casual fans who'd be like, what? The Knicks got the guy that won MVP four years ago. Great. Now I'll watch the team again. Yeah, it would be terrible. But that's but that's a real That's a real like put your again. We're not the people that you you sitting there right now with your headphones and listening to this podcast. You're you're not the person that we're talking about right now. But there is a lot of people in New York who have the next trade for Russell Westbrook tomorrow are going to turn on MSG Network whenever they start playing basketball games again. That would not otherwise have turned on MSG Network had they not traded for 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 Russell Westbrook. What what we don't know is how much that that matters to to Leon Rose. And just in terms of cost, there Houston has no assets. Uh, that's and not they're true. not going to trade. They a lot. have. We talked about this last week. They could trade their twenty twenty two pick. Not, when I say they have no assets, let me get to the root of it. The reason they have no assets is because they're not going to view Russell Westbrook as a salary dump when they just dumped all these assets on to get rid of Chris Paul. They're not going to treat him in a way that Knicks fans, even in a worst case scenario where you walk away with picks. I I mean, I guess that's not the worst case scenario, but it is in terms of my point here is that it's not going to be seen by Houston as we have to get rid of Russell Westbrook by all means necessary. That's just not what they're going to do. And I don't think there's any common ground here because I don't want to want to see Russell Westbrook on this team regardless. No, nor nor do I, to be clear. Right. Let me just throw right. that out there. I don't want <laughs> I want nothing to do with Russell Westbrook. I don't care what you'd send me, but just get, get, I, but it's an important discussion for us to have because guess what, folks? This ain't going away. Keep going. Yeah. So the only way you can sell it to fans like us, and maybe if you're listening and agree with us like you, is well, yeah, we got got Russell Westbrook. Uh, it's a it's a terrible contract. We know what it is. We know that he's 32. We know he's inefficient. We know he's on the decline. Uh, look at the picks that we have. And again, it, I mean, you talk about – we did talk about the picks, but next year's pick is a swap. And if they do better, then that's what? Like maybe 25, 22? And then um, you're talking about the next year? Okay, well, unless they blow everything up uh, and they don't give anything to James Harden or he walks, whatever it is – then yeah, maybe it's a different story, but you better believe that they're going to try to slap some sort of protection on that in order for them to keep that pick in the event that James Harden walks. And if that's true, then it's like, well, what are we really doing this for? They slapped on top four protections on, as far as I, I'll double check this in a second. Um, I think they slapped top four protections on basically every, all the future picks that they've um traded away so one would think and i think that's gonna by the way i think that's gonna become common in the league um with the new lottery rules is top four protections because you're you are if you if you anticipate yourself potentially being like you know not a a god awful team but like you just missed the playoffs you missed the playoffs by like a couple of spots it's like now you might get lucky, right? And move up into the top four. But if you just land where you're supposed to land, it like it's it's I it I think it makes sense. Can I give you the argument for why Houston would would just flat out salary dump Westbrook? Um the I think the argument is that 
So he's making forty one point three million. What by the way, what's the minimum salary slot in the NBA right now? Was it one point five? Does that sound about right? It depends. If it's for a how many vet, well, how many two? when you're when you're calculating how much money a team has to spend in the offseason, you need to account for minimum salary slots, right? Oh, for yeah, for roster charges. Roster ch- thank you. Roster minimum. charges. It's gonna be like eight hundred something thousand. Oh, is it that low? Because it's for the year zero players. That's oh, okay. So that's how it works. So if you account for roster charges um, and you need to have what, at least 13 players on your roster, or do you need to have 15? No, you don't have 15 is the max. You don't have to have. So you, so you could have. So basically accounting for a little like about two and a half million dollars worth of roster charges. If if the used if the Rockets dumped Westbrook salary outright, that would drop them next year to. um about $90 million in committed salary with a, with a $115 million um, cap that would give them 25 million bucks to either spend in free agency, which I would have to think that the only player that would really entice them in this situation would be Van Fleet. And honestly, I'm not even sure if, if that would do it or, they would do whether it would be a three-way deal or whatever. They would inherit another player into that salary, um, and 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 but be like right at the right at the cap maybe, and then they would have their um, full mid level to work with too, which you know you can which basically has them looking for players that make about twenty five million dollars. Um, although, you know, they could, they could have some maneuverability there too. Um, that to me is the argument for why they would look to do it. But then you're assuming that they're going to flat out dump his salary and take nothing back. Well, that's where the Knicks come in. And if you're the Knicks, what would get you to inherit Russell Westbrook's salary without giving up any salary of your own? And I think the argument there is you get Russ and you get what, like, is the, their 2022 pick top four protected like or top, you know, whatever protected. So if you absorbed Russell Westbrook's contract and if we're to assume the salary cap is the same this upcoming year as it was last year. Well, I th- no, I think we have to assume it's 150. It's going to be 115. That's what I'm assuming when I just did that little math. All right. If you want to assume that, then if you don't want to assume it, it's you have basically a million dollars to spend. If you do want to assume you've probably like five million dollars. That's it. That's Russell Westbrook is your offseason completely. And yeah. And I think yeah. and I think that the 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 again, if you listen, you're the one I understand what you're saying. If you're the one that someone, made the point that he's not the GM, he's the president of basketball operations. Right. But you have to balance everything. That's that was my point, which is why I the difference between a Lamelo ball and a Russell Westbrook. And you don't have to like either of them. But the idea itself is you're you're paying you know, dollars to donuts for one. I mean, it's $10 million for Lamelo Ball, and you're at least paying for his trajectory upwards, an upwards trajectory, might I add, versus trading for Russell Westbrook, which is three years, because you know he's going to opt into that final year. And <laughs> 40, making- be $47 uh, million dollars with an yeah, M. Right. So you're looking at a huge issue financially. And I just don't see – and again, you know, they talked about this on Pod Strickland. Who is going to be racing to play with Russell Westbrook? And by the time his salary comes off the books, then you got to pay R.J. Barrett. And so financially, it's now a mess. 
you basically have sacrificed all this space for, again, a declining player or a player whose best days are very likely behind him, and you're not really getting much out of it in terms of picks. So yeah, you can you can try to trade up as well as you can, but what are you really to doing? To me, that's to me that is as much as I loathe his style. I I, just, I don't I don't like him. I just really don't like him as a player. Um, I, I it feels detrimental to the players around you. Well, it is some- because, and I, I'm I don't want to steal from today when you're you at home or wherever are listening to this. I'm I'm dedicating Monday's newsletters to all the reasons why Russell Russell Westbrook is not what you want in your life. Um, some of that has to do with the fact that he really does not make players better in the way that Chris Paul does. In fact, there's evidence to the contrary that he actually makes players worse. Um, aside from big men, him with like a Steven Adams or him with a Clint Capella and yes, him with a Mitchell Robinson next year. Like, yeah, those guys would make beautiful music on a lot of nights. But other than that, in terms of your, if you're thinking about like, what is he going to do to help RJ Barrett become a better player or, you know, Frank Milikino or Dennis Smith Jr. or Kevin Knox or whoever they draft, you know, with the eighth pick, what is he going to do to help those guys? That is not, it's, it's, again, it's not what you want. I, that's its own issue, but and I think that's why you don't trade for him. But I think if you're just looking at it from the money perspective, they would still the the Knicks I'm talking about the they would still have a max slot in a year, even if they pulled this trade off. They would, but again, it's that idea of who is going to play with Russell Westbrook. What is really appealing about that, and who of the 2021 players is even a good fit? Because <laughs> now you're thinking about fit. No one. Right. So, you know, I, I think there is a very realistic chance that the Knicks walk away and they look boring. And I don't think that that's the worst thing in the world, but I do think that you need to try to drum up something. You have to, you can try for something that's organic and that would be great, but the organic factor doesn't necessarily help with exposure from the get go. And I really think that's important because I do think that you could say, well, you know, fans don't want to watch the Knicks lose. And maybe that's true, but at least if there's something exciting there. I mean, the Pelicans had national televised games because of Zion. And even when he wasn't playing, I mean, they were obviously subjected to watching that. Not very fun, but they still had Brandon Ingram's coming out party. There was at least some intrigue with Lonzo Ball. Uh, There was something there. So if you can find a way to balance the two – even if it's like 60, 40, 60 being boring, that's okay. Just you have to get something in there that will help expand your brand and revitalize it. You're making the Russell Westbrook argument. In, I'm not in, though. You I'm are. You don't not, even realize it. I, I'm, I'm not saying it at all because the fact is that, that there's a way to do that without splurging. And it's not even splurging. It's, it's fucking up a third of your salary cap. But if you do, okay, your your whole argument rests on the fact that Lamella Ball is going to come in here and and be able be identifiable from day one as ooh, I don't know if he's the number one guy or the number two, or whatever, but he is a guy, right? Right. And you know, I I thought leading up to this before we even started talking, the thought that I had when I was thinking of how to balance all this is how do I have this conversation where people don't say exactly what you're saying? And again, as I said, the fact is that there's a huge difference between getting someone like LaMelo Ball into your building for very cheap, for a fourth of Russell Westbrook's salary. A fourth, John. 
I, I look, I know run the right run the point versus getting someone who's 32 years old in November and costs $40 million. And that's, that's the crux of it. You can choose to have neither. If the Knicks are set with a player at eight, then I'm down with that. That's great. They can do that. If they want to trade down also awesome. If Walt Perrin feels like LaMelo Ball is actually a can't-miss pro- uh, product and all of what we're hearing is just smoke as a way to lower the, the asking price, then that's fascinating to me too. I would be on board because I trust Walt Perrin. I think he's earned the benefit of the doubt. But here with, with Westbrook, it's a completely different situation because that, that is going too far. That is going all the way into let's let's make us not boring but let's also just focus on being a mediocre team where we finish around eight or nine and our, our ceiling is lower. And what are we really playing for versus next year where if you did have a player like Lamelo ball or Killian Hayes or um, Kyra Lewis Jr., whoever it is, if you ran them at the point, you could say, well, we're going to lose a lot of games, but we're going to do our best to try to have a good pick next year. For, there's no forethought. There's no foresight. For, so for all of the, for everything you just said is why they would rather have Chris Paul than, than Russell Westbrook. And no, I don't, I don't think right. it, that's why I was saying that there's this, now there's maybe this idea that's planted where it's okay. Well, Westbrook's a terrible idea. And Chris Paul now suddenly feels like a great idea. Oh, I, I don't think that that's why this idea is out there. I, I not for one second. Do I think the but Knicks I'm saying put that this out there? Look at fans in terms, because I've seen online people saying, would you rather have this or that? And it's uh, it's overwhelmingly Chris Paul, and you could still, you know, the idea may still be, don't really want either of them, but if I have to pick one, I'll take Chris Paul. But it still makes that a more appetizing uh, decision, which, in a vacuum, maybe it shouldn't be, depending on where you want your team to go. Look, here's all I'm saying. Just, and this is the last thing I'll say because we've been like somehow we've been talking about this for an hour. <laughs> How do we do this, Jeremy? Really? Week after week, month after month, year at this point, year after year. How do we do this? We've been we, disciplined lately, so we're back. We, yeah, we're, we're right a, a back. Yeah. Here's here's all I'm saying. I fully, with my heart and soul, believe that Leon Rose has f- full intention and has hired the people that he has hired. Kenny Payne, um, uh, Walt Perrin. Um, Johnny Bryant and yes, Tom Thibodeau has done all, uh, Mike Woodson, all of this, Zanin's, um, Alex, um, I was about to say Alex Wolf. Um, what's the kid's name? The, the, Alex the, Klein. Klein. There you go. I knew it was an Alex at the very least. I, I fully believe that he has hired all of these people with the intention of over the next several years, we are going to turn this into a sustainable winning basketball product. For the long term, where we get young players in the door who get better and become drawing cards for stars around the league to supplement what we have grown here as a home, as a homegrown product. I believe that with all my heart. You, you could, I, I will come here and I will talk about the notion that they could potentially trade for Russ or CP3 or Victor Oladipo or whoever. It does not change the fact that I believe that that is what their intention is. My point is that I think that they are just looking at, okay, how can we make ourselves not a complete fucking disaster zone as a basketball team as we bridge that gap? And I think that there are a number of reasons for that. I think it helps 
um, uh, hold off Dolan from having, you know, the type of explosion he had after 10, 10 games last year. And I don't expect that that type of thing would happen as soon this season. But look, the man has a history of getting really fucking pissed off. Um, and I think Leon Rose will hold him off as much as anyone, but there's only a matter of time. Um, that's one. Fannies and seats, two. TV ratings, three. And perhaps most importantly of all, I do think that they there are still people in that building, and I don't know if they're wrong, who feel like we need to get, like, feel good about ourselves as a team. And the only way to do that is to win some games occasionally. Um, which means a difference between 23 wins and 32 or 35 or 37 or whatever it would be if they got, again, Chris Paul or Russell Westbrook or Victor or whoever. Like, I think they're just looking to bridge that gap. And I think they're looking to pick up assets so they could go into next year's draft feeling like, okay, we're going to, we're going to come out of next year's draft feeling good about the guy that we're getting as a cornerstone piece. And that they're thinking about trading up and that uh, this all to me sounds like they're trying to have their cake and eat it too. And I know you rarely get to do that in life, but if you're asking me, what do I think that they are angling towards? That's what I think they're angling towards. And that's why as much as I'd love to sit here and be like, oh, they're never in a million years going to entertain the thought of training for Russell Westbrook or whoever. Like, I can't do that for the reasons I just listed. And I understand that may be unpalatable to a lot of people. And I want to be 100% clear. This is not based on anything I've heard. This is just my read on how they are going about things. And you're going to, I know you're going to say, you're going to say, oh, but the money. Well, if it's two more years, right? Two more years of Russ where they don't feel like, okay, we're not getting CP3. We're not getting Fred Van Fleet. We're not getting all the people. We're not getting whoever this offseason. And based on what we're hearing, if we don't get one of those guys this offseason, then we're not going to get anybody good next offseason. So then you put two and two together and all of a sudden the next two years are a wash in terms of your salary cap, right? And then all of a sudden you're fast forward to 2022 when again, if you've traded for him, he's all the largest expiring contract in the league. That's your argument. Right. I don't. Yes. You got to admit it's, it's, it, it, it is there. It exists. No, it may not be a good one. I, it does not. Tim. Well, <laughs> well, sure. I mean, you can make an argument about anything. It doesn't, that's, doesn't mean that's to be a good one. Um, look, the reason why I have come to accept the idea of a Chris Paul trade is because I can look at that and say he is the objectively and subjectively a player when you put him on the floor with young players can inflate their value and probably make them actually better too. Which is why they want him more. Yes, continue. With Russell Westbrook, and I'm very excited to read what you have, what you're putting forward, because that to me from the surface – does not seem like something Russell Westbrook does. He it isn't. Acts up assists, but he is not a table setter. He he will like bring you the food, but he'll just be like, "Here you go," and 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 toss it to you. Whereas Chris Paul will like drape the napkin around your neck. He'll make sure that you have several spoons and, and forks <laughs> at your disposal. There's etiquette there. It'll be perfect. That is what Chris Paul is to me. So it's very different because you are looking at two years. And sure, I mean, that third year, you could say it's the largest expiring contract, but you also need to have a team that wants and I, Russell Westbrook at what? It'll be entering his age 34 season at $46 million. That's a lot to ask. And sure, you may, maybe you can find a way to dump it, but 
I look at Brock Aller. Oh, I don't even think they would care at that point. If they, if this regime makes it two more years right. and they've acquired some like legitimately exciting young talent in that time and the young talent they have right now and Mitch and RJ and like maybe one other piece like progress in a, in a cognizable way. If all that's happening in the next two years and they've made themselves a watchable product and, and they haven't gotten fired, you know, I, I don't, I think like, if the if the worst thing that they have to deal with at that point is Russell Westbrook's expiring forty seven million dollar contract, I don't think they would care in the least. Um, but you're right, and it would take them convincing themselves that that a team with Russell Westbrook on it can can have young can have young players making progr- meaningful meaningful progressions, and specifically a guy like R J Barrett who profiles as someone who needs the ball in his hands, and that's really what this comes down to. Exactly, and again, Dolan. We know that he certainly wants the team to go in the right direction, but he usually gives them at least two years to to show upward trajectory. Yes. And that's something that a lot of executives have not done. And the fact that he personally knows Leon Rose and trusts him, I mean, look how long he gave Steve Mills both under Phil and after Phil. And you could say like, okay, well, that was like, what, two and a half, three, and then another two and a half. He was as all in on Phil as anyone. And he gave him only three years. Right. Exactly. But it's this sort of thing where (laughs) maybe the problem is you start out lower and you say, you know what? We're going to suck year one, but we're going to do things after that. And then we're going to, we're going to show that we can get better. And I guarantee you just by doing that, that would be enough for James to be like, huh, you know, we're getting fannies and seats. We're showing some promise. There's some uh, real upside here. Oh, but, I like it. You're saying, eh, but but we haven't we haven't seen that happen. So I don't see how we can say that, you know, like this idea won't work out. The, the problem but we're going around and around the same mulberry that, bush. We're be- not, though. We're not. Though. No, but it's, yeah, it's we are because situation. you're you're presupposing that if they don't do any of if they go to no food trucks, that they will show enough growth. To A, make James Dolan appeased this year and B, uh, get ratings to a point of respectability in this upcoming season. And C, because there will be fans allowed in arenas at some point relatively soon. Movie theaters opened in, in, um, I think New York State, some places in New York State this weekend. It's coming, folks. Um, like the, the fannies and seats matter. And you're presupposing that all of those things could happen even if they do not make some kind of a splash. Whereas I'm saying, I'm saying that it's, it's one thing. What? No, I'm, 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 I'm legit. I, I think you're assuming. I'm assuming that when you start at year one, as this is what we're gonna do, this is where we're gonna be at, and we're gonna keep going up from there. Versus after two years, hey, our game plan is essentially let's get Kevin Durant, and if things <laughs> fall flat, then uh, well, we'll, we'll do something. Well, different. if the benchmark is Steve Mills, then we. <laughs> but that is the benchmark. That's the benchmark that was last left. Oh my God, us. that's so, so sad. So, we're, you know, at a low bar right now. Again, if you can say, if you can say, we're not going to be great this year, we want to put an interesting team out there. We want to get some shine on there. So at least it attracts fans. Hopefully it's organically. And if it isn't, we've at least got Tom Thibodeau. You know, people don't watch for the coach, obviously, but you can maybe watch for some sort of progression. That is a different story than saying, you know what? We're going to gun for 40 wins. And it's like, okay, great. Well, where's that going to leave you? Well, um, you know, if we get there, that mission accomplished, uh, and then we'll see what next year is. If we don't, then um, so be it. But if if but you I trust that Dolan gives them the year, then you're then you're right because I think they do you feel. You don't, 
No, I, I, I no, my, I, my answer is I don't know. My answer is I don't know. That's my answer. I don't know. I would, I would love to sit here and be like, of course he's going to give him the year. This is Leon Rose. This is a man that he trusts probably more than anyone in the world you of basketball. You don't hire all of these people that Leon Rose wanted to hire and then kick him out after a year. I don't think they, I don't think there's any world where that would happen. I completely agree with you, but, but the, but the, but if it's a, but then at that point, you better believe that you, you, you have to come out of next year's draft with someone that almost instantaneously is someone that every, like the fans, like casual or otherwise are going to be able to be like, Oh, that yes. Okay. We got our guy. Right. Which again, based on everything I've said, they're going to try to do that anyway. But if you have, you've bought yourself more time. And I know it sounds like the way I'm arguing for it. It's basically like Leon Rose is already trying to protect his own job, which is not the way to sell anything. Um, but I don't know how much, but it, look, we, and we could talk about this until we're blue in the face and we certainly don't need to, but like how much of the job of being the president of basketball operations of the New York Knicks is holding off James Dolan long enough for you to do your job. Um, and I don't know, how, again, I don't know how to answer that question. And, and they're going to get a year, but past that, who the hell knows? I don't know. I don't know. I don't see it quite as cynically. I understand that there's a litany of You can of see why I do though, right? Of course. But again, all of these people have gotten at least two, two and a half years. Yeah. At least. So, and again, if James Dolan has to know, unless things go so awry that it's I, I don't, a disaster, <laughs> he has to know that no one. I, nothing. He doesn't I mean, have to know anything. Because it's still New York and there are 30 jobs. That it will still be even harder to get someone when you can't get the head of CAA to build this right. Again, I, I heard it elsewhere. I can't remember exactly where, but um, it might have been Pod Strickland. But th- this idea of this is Leon Rose's dream job. This is Tom Thibodeau's dream job. They're going to try to build this the right way. It's just a matter of what Dolan is on board for. And again, there's a pattern here. We've seen that if they can make strides by the end of year two and in year three, go, you know, kind of getting a little bit further, then that's something. If you are Leon Rose and you're saying to James Dolan, I can build it right and we're going to get to the playoffs by year three, then that's music to your ears if you're James Dolan. You obviously want the playoffs now, but not at the expense of everything around you uh, being just a low ceiling team. So I see where you're coming from and why there is that concern. We share that concern, but not the same number of years. No, I, okay. That's, I, I guess, I guess the, the, the one minor difference between us is I could see a world where I agree with everything you're saying. And I, I am the one who's again going have, I wrote something today to this effect um, about he doesn't make other players better, but I could see a world where reasonable basketball people could talk themselves into the idea of, Russell Westbrook having a net positive effect on a basketball team. Um, again, you know, we are, we are talking about one of the most imperfect players in the history of basketball, but we are also talking about someone who is very, very good and, and draws a lot of attention. And, you know, also, by the way, probably exists in a world where starting now, like during his uh, really good stretch in Houston last year, he has sat one out of essentially one out of every five games like, you know, if a, if a team like the Knicks ever acquired him and put him on some kind of like, a, all right, you're going to sit once a week. That's just how it's going to be. 
And those are going to be, you know, whatever development days. Like, I, I don't know. I, I, I think there's a lot. Again, if you're asking me and this is maybe me being I don't know what this is me being. But if you're if you're asking me to imagine, is there a world where reasonable people could talk themselves into him just based on like, OK, you're going to pay the salary and that's your penalty. Yeah, I could. I could see that world existing. It's not a world I want to exist in, but I could see the world existing. Yeah. I Just a quick thought. I love how we also went into this podcast. We talked about the idea of uh, something with Maury, Daryl Maury, and we just didn't mention him at all. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, that's OK. Yeah, that's uh, all right. I, you know, hey, you know what? Let's hear. This is how we can end it. Uh, I'm sure that if Leon Rose was fired within a year, Daryl Maury would be very much available and willing to take the job. <laughs> Do I want that? No. Um, no, I, I don't really. I don't want the chaos and I don't really want Daryl Morey. But, uh, you know, if if like you're saying, Daryl Morey was still looking for a job, then uh, it's obviously a very different conversation. Um, that is not how we're going to end up because we are going to end up with one other thing. Uh, Jeremy, did you did you place any wagers today? Uh, I did. I thought the Patriots were going to do better than they did. So I'm in a slight hole. But the good news is that the Jets are so bad uh, that. <laughs> It's going to really help me out a lot. I mean, if you're a Jets fan out there, I am so sorry. I, <laughs> I, no, really. We talk about the Knicks for an hour, right? And we, did. we genuinely enjoy it. What real genuine joy is there for a Jets fan if not for the idea of Trevor Lawrence? And I was about to say, isn't in, there some hot shot in college? Yeah. It's about, yeah, it's about the future. It's not about the present. Um, I mean, you know, like it's just a mess of a first half. I'm not watching the second half, but I'm falling on my phone and it's a disaster. But there's one thing that re- that stood out to me and I'm deviating from the Knicks for a second. But uh, Brian Flores, the coach of the Dolphins, was under Bill Belichick, the greatest coach of all time, for years. And what happened was that the Dolphins had to punt and they had a delay of game. And Belichick does this all the time where he'll do it because it they're too close. Uh, the Dolphins wanted to, to get themselves backed up so the punter could punt with better fielding position. And when they did, when the Dolphins and the Patriots played, I think last year, the Pats tried to do it and the Dolphins declined because they, you know, the coach Brian Flores knew that Belichick was up to his old ways. And then they tried it again and Flores declined again. And it was just really sad and, and hilarious. And today, what happened was that Brian Flores took the call. He had a delay of game. And Adam Gase, who is worse than Fisdale at his job, was like, oh, yeah, you know, we'll take it. That's fine. And then they got pinned down at like the 10. So I am so sorry, Jets fans. And I say this is a Giants fan who, who also wants Trevor Lawrence. But, uh, you know, like it's just it's a nightmare. So did Washington uh, did yeah. Washington cover today, by the way. The throw was three and a half. Uh, yeah, they lost 19 to 20. Oh, that's fantastic. OK, good news so, for yeah, me for my picks pool. For me, just to, OK, yeah. To circle back for me, if the Patriots had uh, scored a touchdown, I'd be golden right now. But they didn't, and unfortunately, I didn't diversify my risk enough, and uh, a few of my teasers died, and uh, so did my spirit. But again, thanks to the Jets, sucking the under will absolutely hit. Well, And now they'll probably score five touchdowns, and that will be <laughs> Um Listen, if you at home don't want to have your spirit die like Jeremy Cohen, and if you would like to diversify your risk and really – who amongst us uh, doesn't want that? Um, my bookie 
is the place to go. So between the NFL, college ball, and what's left of the Major League Baseball playoffs, still got a, still got a World Series to go. Uh, there's no shortage of games to watch. With thousands of lines available on your favorite sports and events, you could turn your game day into payday, right? That's how you did it, Jeremy, with with the Jets, um, of course. If you're the type of guy like Jeremy who likes to back the big favorites, consider putting a couple of uh, in a parlay for a much bigger payout. Um, not only do parlays make meaningless games like the Jets game more exciting, but more importantly, they give you a chance to turn ordinary bets into a real moneymaker. Uh, don't forget the underdogs. They have a ton of value. The thing about the NFL is that underdogs are never really dogs on Sunday unless say it with me, Jeremy. They're the Jets. Um, game spreads, championship futures, player prop bets. It's never too late to get on the action. Uh, turn your sports knowledge into ca- actual cash in your wallet. Um, also, uh, most importantly, sign up at my bookie. And when you do use promo code overtime to claim a deposit match dollar for dollar all the way up to a thousand bucks. It's a bonus designed to help give you a head start on winning season. One more time. That promo code is overtime to claim your bonus when you make your first deposit. Um, UFC cards, presidential prop bets, all major sports, everything you could want. It's at my bookie. Sign up today. To begin your winning season exclusively at my bookie. All right. That was fun. I got to poop on the Jets during the ad uh, read. I know. Which yeah. is it's, what, what more can you want out of life? I love how you tied everything in. It was perfect. I, it, it was not my Unless first. Unless you're a Jets fan. But yeah. <laughs> it's not my first rodeo. This is all we have as Nick fans is to make fun of the Jets. What else do we have? What, what do we have left? Can't make fun of anybody in, in basketball. Um, please, uh, Leon Rose, if you've been listening to this, um, don't trade for Russell Westbrook. Um, and let, let, let this be the last time we ever have to talk about Russell Westbrook on this podcast. Shall, shall it be? Um, anything else, Jeremy? Thank you. This is, this is, we've gone on for a while, but anything you want to say before we get out of here? Uh, vote. I don't know. I guess it's not like you haven't, if you're eligible to vote, it's not like you haven't heard that before. So uh, I'm not really saying anything new. Other than that, I think, I think we are good. I think we're good too. Um, I uh, I donated this week to a campaign in Georgia um, because apparently it's a, a close race. And, uh, you know, um, I, I don't have a lot of disposable income, but what little I do have, um, you know, it's an important time, folks. This is it's the future of the country at stake. So let's uh, let's go all get out there and, and do what we can. Obviously, vote yourselves. But if you can help support causes around the country and some battleground states. That's important too. Um, yeah, that's really all I got. Thanks for, uh, thank you, Jeremy. This was a long one, but I think it was a goodie. We got to yell at each other a little bit, which is always fun. Um, <laughs> and everybody at home, thank you for listening to another episode of the next film school podcast. We're going to be back with you with another edition before you know it. All right. Peace out. Giddy up. Giddy up.